Good morning, everyone. As Carola said, my name is Madeline, or Mads. <laughs> I'll be reading from two parts of the Bible this morning. The first is Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 to 20. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. Our second reading is from the book of Ephesians, and that is chapter 5, verses 25 to 30. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. Uh, good morning, everyone. Uh, Happy New Year to you all. Uh, let me introduce myself. Uh, my name is Michael Seamson. I think I can now say I'm uh, the associate pastor here, so uh, that's my uh, pleasure uh, yeah, to begin that role uh, with you all this year. Uh, but I'm going to begin the talk today uh, with a little bit of audience participation. Uh, so in a moment, I'll ask you a question. I want you to take uh, 30 seconds to a minute, uh, discuss that question uh, with those who are sitting around you. Uh, so got that? Okay, so the question is, what would you say to a Christian who said that they did not think it was important for them to regularly go to church? I'll say that again because I think the block on the screen is blocking out half the question, but what would you say to a Christian who said that they did not think it was important for them to regularly go to church? Have a chat uh, amongst each other and then uh, we'll bring it back in a minute or so. All right, uh, some good discussion uh, there happening. Uh, hopefully, uh, that's got your minds going and, and sparked some interesting discussions. And although for today's purposes, that's a, a hypothetical question, I think it is an interesting question because it's easy to picture a real-life situation where someone has this attitude. Maybe they think it's important to have a relationship with God, they think it's important to have a walk with God, but... Uh, 
for whatever reason, uh, they do not see the importance or the necessity of belonging to a church community. And uh, so for the first two weeks of this new year, uh, today and then also next week, we're spending a little bit of time thinking about spiritual health and spiritual habits, uh, something that people often do at the start of New Year's. And today we're going to uh, spend a bit of a time uh, focusing on the spiritual habit of belonging to a church community, how the Bible calls for us to be contributors, not consumers of our church community. And so, and more than this, my goal for today is that you would walk out those doors at the end of uh, today with an extremely high view of the church, because you'll see that the church is central to God's purposes in the world, and the church is central to Christ's heart and to Christ's affections as his bride and as his body. And that, and with that picture in your mind in 2024, then belonging to and being a contributor to your church community would be a habitual part of your spiritual life. Uh, that's a lofty goal, uh, so let's get stuck in. Uh, so the first point that I want to make today, having just alluded to this, it's a twofold point, and it's that the church is central to God's purposes in the world, and the church is central to Christ's affections. Central to God's purposes in the world, and central to Christ's affections. So let's, let's look at our Bible readings from today and see how the Bible shows uh, us those points. And the reading we had earlier from the book of Matthew, chapter 16, this reading has uh, parallels in the Gospels of Mark and in the Gospels of Luke, in and in those three gospel accounts, the big theme of the early parts of those books is, who is this man? Who is Jesus? Who is this man that does miracles like healing the sick, walking on water, feeding thousands? Who is this man who is a carpenter, but he teaches with authority, and he claims to do things that God can do, like forgive sins? As we heard in today's reading uh, this is actually the very question that Jesus puts to his followers. He, Jesus asks his disciples, who do people say that I am? And of course, they offer a variety of answers. You know, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. But if we jump back into our reading again, uh, Matthew chapter 16, verse 15, there it says, Jesus says to his followers, but what about you? He asked them. Who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed, revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Well, here in Matthew's Gospel, as well as also in Mark and in Luke, this recognition by Simon Peter of who Jesus truly is, it's a huge turning point in the narrative. And the disciples, and with Simon Peter as their spokesman, they finally understand and they see uh, clearly who Jesus is. He's the Messiah. He's the Son of the living God. And you notice what, what, 
is Jesus' first order of business after his disciples, after they finally understand who he truly is? Well, his first order of business is building his church. The building of his church was an integral part of Jesus' earthly ministry, and the building of his church continues to be an integral part of Jesus' heavenly ministry. And, well, the way in which Jesus has and the way in which he continues to build his church is by calling individuals like you and me to come to that same realisation, to come to that same confession that Simon Peter came to, to answer that question of, who do you say that I am, with a confession that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God. If you're not familiar, the the title Messiah, that comes uh, from a Hebrew word, and it's the same word as uh, Christ, which comes from the Greek language. But these titles, Messiah or Christ, they just mean God's anointed king, the king who will rule over God's kingdom forever and ever. So then, for us to acknowledge, for anyone to say that Jesus is the Messiah, is to actually pledge your allegiance to the king, Pledge your allegiance to King Jesus for the rest of your life. And this, it's the one and only entry condition into the church. Allegiance to Jesus as King. And because it's the one and only entry condition into the church, well then, the church is actually the most inclusive and diverse group of people in the entire world. Because it's inclusive of both young and old, male, female, rich, poor, people of vast ethnicities, tribes, languages, all of these vast number of people come together as the one body, the church. So in this way, you can kind of look at the church like one of those pictures. When you look at it from far away, it looks like one clear, cohesive picture. And that's because, you know, theologically speaking, there is one big worldwide church. There is one church. But when you get a bit closer, that one picture is made up of hundreds and thousands of smaller pictures, hundreds upon hundreds of local suburban churches, thousands upon thousands of individuals who belong to those churches. One big picture made up of lots of little pictures. And the diversity of the church, it helps demonstrate to us why the church is central to God's purposes in the world. Because it is the church which shows God's purpose of bringing together different kinds of people. He brings them together in peace and unity as one people, his people. And it's the church which shows the power of the gospel as the followers of Christ, as they show the love of Christ in their relationships with one another. And so, and by doing this, the church as God's gathered people, it shines the light of the gospel to the world around us. Does this mean that church always uh, does these things perfectly? Does this mean all of our efforts as a church always go smoothly? Uh, no, of course not. Today is a good example of that. We can make our own plans and we have to adjust on the fly. Things don't always go our way. But we do all of these things and we recognize that all of our efforts are under Christ who's the head and we take comfort in that it's actually not our efforts but Jesus says I will build my church he is the one who will achieve it he is the one who will work it despite 
all of our failings which we must uh, acknowledge. So, yeah, we take comfort in this, but it doesn't take away from that clarity of purpose for why God has the church in the world. And so in these ways, we see clearly that the church is central to God's purposes in the world. And if I continue on uh, to the second part of my twofold point, not only is the church uh, central to God's purposes in the world, uh, but it's an integral part of Jesus' earthly ministry, heavenly ministry, it touched on that, but the church is central in Christ's affections. So if we return to our reading from the letter to the Ephesians and uh, pick it up uh, from verse 25. There it says, Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle, uh, blemished in any way. And she comes to him radiant, holy and blameless. And uh, Meredith helpfully touched on this earlier. Within the context of the letter of the Ephesians, the example of Christ's sacrificial, selfless love for the church, it's held up as an example of the love which husbands are to have uh, in how they love their wives. Seeing Christ, uh, how he views the church as his beloved bride, being willingly, sacrificially, uh, selflessly giving his life for her. So every stain, wrinkle, blemish is washed away. And so just as Christ's love for the church is an example for husbands in how they are to love their wives, so too does Christ's uh, love for the church set an example for all Christians in how we ought to love the church. For if the, Christ, for if the church is so central to Christ's heart and so central to Christ's affections, that he would sacrificially give his life for her, then how can we, who call ourselves followers of Christ, how can we have any other view of the church but the one that Christ has? How can we not love the church when our Lord and Saviour loves it so dearly that he would give his life for her? That's, I think that challenges our thinking sometimes because often we like to think that Christ loves me, loves you, loves us individually. He gave his life for you and for me. And of course these things are true, but they are true because he loves us. He loves you, plural. He loves the church and he invites you to be a part of his church. And it challenges our thinking from being an individual with our relationship with God to being part of his body, his bride, his church. But are we having... Uh, considered uh, the theology maybe of why we ought uh, to have an extremely high view of the church, it's now appropriate we turn our attention uh, to the way in which this theology ought to impact our practices and our habits. And I think as we kick off 2024, there are five spiritual habits that flow out from having this high view of the church. Uh, So I'm going to pair up the first two of those spiritual habits because uh, they have much in common. And the first two habits are regular attendance at Sunday worship gatherings, like here today, and uh, number two is belonging uh, to a midweek small group. So, in addition to what I've already said about the significance of the church, 
Uh, we ought to be in the habit of regularly attending our sun, Sunday worship gatherings and belonging to a midweek small group because it's just one way in, in that we as God's children, it's the way how we grow in our learning, grow in our understanding, grow in our maturity as we hear God speak to us through his word. You know, those of us who are parents, we know the delight of uh, seeing our children learn something new, uh, develop some new skills. And similarly, God, as our Heavenly Father, He takes great delight in seeing His children grow and learn and you know, become mature in their understanding, become the full people that He has made them to be. God, as our Heavenly Father, He delights in that. And so it's, it's appropriate to use this family-oriented language because... You know, one of the metaphors used in the Bible, used in the New Testament about the church is that it's the household of God. It's the people of God. It's where God dwells. And so we can think of both today and our, our regular Sunday worship gatherings and also our midweek uh, small group Bible studies as big and small family gatherings in which we as the children of God, we come together, we worship, we celebrate our awesome Heavenly Father. And we enjoy fellowship with one another, with our brothers and sisters in Christ. It's a big family gathering. And so these are the reasons why regularly attending Sunday worship uh, gatherings, uh, belonging to midweek uh, Bible study groups, they're both uh, important and beneficial. But how can, we, how can we make these things our habits? We might know that they're important and might know that they're helpful. How can we make, uh, make them one of our habits? Well, you might know this illustration, know this story. It's a well-known story of a professor who wanted to teach his students a lesson. And so at the front of the classroom, uh, the professor has an empty uh, glass uh, jar and he uh, fills it with several large rocks, as many rocks as will fill into the jar. And uh, once he's done, he then uh, turns to his students and he asks them, is this jar full? And they you know, look around and they all kind of agree, yes, the jar is full. And then the professor moves on and he takes a cup of uh, pebbles and smaller stones and he pours it into the jar and they all fall into all the areas between the larger rocks, all the cracks and crevices. And yeah, so it goes into the jar. The jar hasn't overflowed. And so he asks his students once again, is the jar full? And after a bit of a kind of smirk and a chuckle, a bit of a murmur around the room, they go, okay, yes, now the jar is full. And so once again, the professor, he now takes up a cup of uh, sand, very fine, and pours that into the jar once again. And you know, by now the, the students, they get the point, okay, righto. You know, and the uh, point of the illustration is that you know, if the professor, if he'd put in the pebbles and if he'd put in the sand uh, first, then there actually wouldn't have been uh, any room for the large rocks to be able to be put in the jar. They wouldn't have fit. And so... Uh, the way that the illustration works, the large rocks, they represent well, the truly important things in our life. The things in our life, if our life is the jar, the things that we pay, place a great amount of value on uh, that are really important to us, and so we actually ought to place them into our lives, into our schedules uh, first. And then the less important things in our lives, uh, represented by the pebbles and the sand, uh, they can then fit into the gaps around those more important things. So as we begin this new year of 2024, can I suggest that you make regularly attending our Sunday worship services, uh, belonging to a midweek 
our small group, you make them two of the big rocks in your jar? Well, the next three spiritual habits, they also flow out of having a high view of the church and they describe how we can be uh, contributors and not consumers uh, in our church community. And the first way that we can be uh, contributors and not consumers in our church community is by using our spiritual gifts uh, to serve one another. So there's several passages in the New Testament uh, that use the metaphor of a body to describe the church. And just as a body is made up of a variety of different parts that all have different functions, all have different roles to play uh, for the benefit of the whole body, so too is the church also made up of a variety of people who have a variety of different spiritual gifts which are all given for the benefit of the whole. Now, just out of interest, has anyone uh, had their appendix uh, removed? Yeah, a couple of hands. Has anyone had their tonsils uh, removed? Oh, Tim, again, okay. Has anyone had wisdom teeth removed, the trifecta? Yeah, okay. So a few, but I trust that all of you, your, your life hasn't been uh, severely impacted by having these things removed. You're, you're healthy and you're, you're doing well uh, without these uh, parts of your body. But uh, I like to think in the, in the body of Christ, there's no appendix, there's no tonsils, there's no wisdom teeth. Uh, all members of the body of Christ have an invaluable role to play. All are essential to the building up of his church. Uh, losing any one of the members would be a detriment uh, to the whole. And so all have a valuable role to play. And f- for this reason, uh, we ought to make it our habit to be a contributor to our church community and not to be a consumer of it. Because uh, if we do fall into that easy trap of thinking about how the church ought to be meeting my needs, well, we actually deprive the body of Christ, the use of spiritual gift that was given to it for the benefit of the whole. So my suggestion uh, today, if you aren't yet serving on a team here at church, can I encourage you today, talk the, uh, take the opportunity to talk to Corolla. Uh, she's the one who oversees all our serving teams, uh, so she has a good idea um, of where we need more help, uh, and she'll be able to kind of yeah, kind of guide you in that discussion. Be good just to have a chat with her about how you might be able to best use uh, your gifts and how you might be able to use what you have uh, to serve the whole body here. Well, uh, uh, so that's three uh, spiritual habits for 2024. Our fourth one, another spiritual habit that uh, we, how we can be contributors and uh, not consumers in our church community is by financially partnering uh, with the work of the church. You know, when we understand that the church is central to God's purposes in the world and central in Christ's affections, as well as recognizing that everything that we have uh, has been given to us by God, financially giving back to Him and to His works, it's a natural response. But more than this, financially giving, is, it's an act of worship in which we declare that God is our master, not money. And by giving to him, we express our faith as we trust upon God 
and not ourselves to provide for our daily needs. Because giving is an act of worship, it's an expression of faith, it should be done freely, cheerfully and generously. And according to our own abilities, which may include giving sacrificially. So let me ask you, is it your spiritual habit to financially partner with the work of the church in these ways? The start of a new year might be a good time for you and your family to have a chat with one another and to have a chat with your Heavenly Father about how you can be a cheerful, generous contributor in your church community. Uh, If you need uh, help with how uh, to do that, here uh, we highlighted before, there's a partnership box uh, up the back uh, near the doors there. There's some information uh, about how you can do that here at church as well as on our website. But yeah, I encourage you to think about, is that one of your spiritual habits? Well, the fifth and final spiritual habit uh, of how we can be contributors and not consumers in our church community is by praying for the church. As uh, has hopefully been made clear by now, church is central uh, to God's plans in the world, uh, central in Christ's hearts. And so it makes sense for us to talk to God about something that's so dear to Him. Uh, And so we ask God uh, in prayer to grow the church. We ask Him and we pray for more and more people that they would find salvation, that they would give their allegiance to King Jesus. We ask God in prayer to protect, to give wisdom to the leadership of the church so they can faithfully uh, lead those who have been given to their, entrusted uh, into their spiritual care. We pray for uh, one another in the church. We rejoice with those who are rejoicing in good news and we mourn and we grieve with those who are grieving. And whilst we here at uh, Trinity Church Golden Grove, we're one local expression of the church, theologically we know that we are just one part of the bigger whole, uh, the whole global church. And so, as well as praying for one another here, we also pray for our church partners. Part of our habitual prayer life, it might include praying for other churches in our Trinity network. It might include praying for our local, our overseas uh, mission partners, uh, Bush Church Aid and uh, Church Missionary Society and things like the, the Summer Conference. And I, I believe that there's uh, prayer points available for both of them available on that table uh, just near the door as you come in if you uh, would like to make yourself available of those. But you might even consider praying for other churches in our neighbourhood, in our city. Maybe next time you pass by a church building in your car, Um, You might even do that on your way home today. How about praying for that church? Sometimes I think that we in Christian circles, we can focus too much on denominational or stylistic uh, differences between all the local churches uh, in our neighbourhood, in our city. And so praying for the faithfulness and the fruitfulness of uh, the other churches around us is actually a good way for us to shift our thinking. Well, let me, let me summarise. I sincerely hope that in 2024 you make regularly attending Sunday worship gatherings, uh, being part of a midweek small group, uh, using your gifts uh, to serve the church, financially partnering with the church, 
and praying for the church five of your spiritual habits. And that as you walk out those doors today, you walk out with an extremely high view of the church, Christ's body and his bride.